Welcome to the online broadcast. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. Now, what did it take to get that title? 39 felonies, a place on the United States' most wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. Of course, I went to prison, and during my time behind the fence, I turned my life around. Today, I work hard to protect individuals and companies against the type of person I used to be. I don't know about you guys, but I have always fancied myself a writer. From 10 years old, when I was reading Stephen King's Salem's Lot, I always wanted to be a writer. I went to prison. I used to work on my quote-unquote a great American novel. Truth of the matter is, writing is a lot like getting to Carnegie Hall. What does it take? What well, takes practice, practice, practice? If you've read Stephen King's book on writing, what does he say? If you're not reading, if you're not writing, you, my friend, are never going to be a writer. The reason I mention that, the reason I mention that is Mark Morris recently came on the online broadcast, and he wanted to talk about how some of these self-publishing companies, so you see the advertisements, we will publish your novel for you, we will get you on the bestseller list, we will make you a writer. You see these advertisements. The truth of the matter is, is that a lot of these self-publishing firms, they're not there to help you be a writer. They're there to make money. And that's what we're talking about today on the online broadcast is how these, it may not be criminally illegal, but by God, it's not moral and it's not right. And Mark Morris is good enough to come on the show and talk to us about self-publishing fraud. Today on the online broadcast, we are extremely pleased to have Mark Morris on the show. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the online broadcast. Absolutely, Brett. I'm glad to be here. It's been, it, you know, this is the first time we've actually got to talk in person, well, over over the internet, but other than text, this is the first time we've really spoken. I think that's true. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't mind, just so the audience knows who you are and everything, if you could uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Sure. I am uh, Mark R. Morris Jr. If you want to find me online, you can search that and pretty much anything you find will be me. Uh, I am centered out of Oklahoma City here where I live with my eight kids and wife and uh, five at home right now. Uh, we re-inherited one college kid from the You've got five pandemic. at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got yeah. two at home and I want to kill them about once a day right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the, the beauty of it is my youngest is is uh, about 11. So they're all older, so they're pretty self-managed. Gotcha. It's not bad. Not bad and, at all. Uh, I started freelance writing about 10 years ago after I got out of the theater business. I was a teacher. Uh, ran a studio here in Oklahoma City and directed plays and musicals and fun stuff like that. Outstanding. And uh, kind of got into the self-publishing world, oh man, way back when it first started uh, in the mid to late 90s. So, so now you, you were, for a long time. Did, you, did you go to school for theater or? or? Uh, no, I, well, I took some theater uh, before I started all that. I actually went to school for creative writing. 
but uh, yeah, I did a lot of uh, church theater when I was younger. And, but when I say that people roll their eyes, but we actually did Broadway scale productions and we'd have 2000 people a year come out to see our Easter production. And we also had touring companies that went all over the nation doing stuff from there. And, and then I just got into a company where I was assisting someone and I ended up buying that company uh, when she decided she was done. And uh, so I did that for <laughs> about 15 years. That's outstanding. That truly is. I, you know, and I've done a lot of theater at, when I was in Charleston, South Carolina, when I, under my previous career, I had mm-hmm. a stage production company and, you know, I, I don't know if you're any different, but I found out pretty quickly that, you know, it's a labor of love, not of it profit. Is. That is absolutely true. There, there is some money to be made, but it's very, very tough to find the right niche and figure out it how is. you can make that happen. So yeah. how many shows a year did you, uh, did you produce? Well, we were directing and producing about 10 to 12 shows a year. And I was wearing 95% of the hats. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, it was, a lot of, it was a lot of work. It was, it was easily 50 to 60 hours a week. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. So you, you moved from that over into self-publishing? Yes. Well, to freelance writing, uh, I uh, started with a company called Demand Media. Okay. I've, I've always been a carpenter. Started in a cabinet shop when I was young to pay for my acting hobby. and Because uh, so, you have to have something that you, pays for it. You, you do. <laughs> exactly. You do. Well, you I've know, been an actor off and on for 20 yeah. years. and yeah. I, I mean, I know guys who good, make good money in voice acting and things like that, but it's tough to get into. Right. It's tough to build the reputation. It takes a lot of time. So, um, But uh, yeah, it's that's how it happened. And basically my theater company was taken from me by the last financial crisis. So it was a reinvention thing. Uh, I looked at my then eight kids at home and my wife and realized I needed to make money tomorrow. Sure. So I dove into that and was very fortunate to find a place that would give me all the work I could do, although it was kind of crap work at the time, but I got fast enough at it that I could make, you know, 30, 40 bucks an hour doing it. So it turned out okay. Yeah, beautiful. So <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um, you know, you said the last financial crisis was what caused this transition for you. Yeah. Are you are you having any difficulty right now? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm about to wrap up one book, and okay. I'm getting ready to start another project. Hopefully, uh, looking for somebody to kind of fill that slot. But other than that, no, things are good. I've got three projects going and some side work to do. So that's beautiful. You know, that's everything's beautiful. real good. My wife's business is maintained. So. I'm so happy. I've got to tell you, I'm the guy that everything's tight right now. (laughs) I bet it is. I bet it is. I know you were like on speaking engagements and stuff, right? Oh, I was, you know, I was traveling the planet and it turns out that when you have a a virus or a pandemic like this, that you don't speak, you know, that there's a consultant as an outside consultant, uh, the type of consulting that I was doing, it's, that's not happening right now. So it's like, okay. Any type of extracurricular activities, thankfully there are none right now, <laughs> but all of that's canceled for the foreseeable right, future. And right. uh, tighten our belts, you know, putting the payments off on home and cars for however many months we can until hopefully sure. things start back up. But I'm, I'm glad, I'm really glad that everything's going all right on your end on that. Uh, you, had, you had reached out to me a few days ago and you had mentioned a new type, well, not a new type of fraud, but it's new to me, um, yeah. of self-publishing fraud. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading that, and you wrote just a real short description of it, but I, as I was reading that, I was like, you know, it makes perfect sense. It truly does. So if right. you would like to, um, and I'm a newbie to this, this type of fraud, I Absolutely. understand fraud in general, but yeah. if you'd like to kind of explain what that is, and then we can go into that a little bit, I'd appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, let me let me clear this up. It is fraud in definition, but probably not fraud in legal terms sure. because they do supply what they list usually on their services, but it's kind of like ordering from Wish. It's yes. smaller than you expected it to be, <laughs> and it doesn't last very long. God, I love so, that. I love it. I, mean, I love it. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's a misdirection in terms is what it, it is. is. They're trying it to is. make you think one thing. It's a, it's a bait and switch type situation. They right. paint one picture, but the picture that you end up with is very much different. Now, when I first started into the idea of self-publishing, I had this little novel. It was the first uh, actual book I had written. And this was in 1997, 1998. Mm -hmm. This was a brand new thing. I mean, eBooks were barely anybody even really understood what that meant. And no one thought that it was going to become a thing. You know, everyone was like, no, people like paper books too much, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Well, so there had always been this thing called a vanity press, which you are probably familiar with. Uh, It's a, it's a pay to play type situation where you would pay a printer uh, who called themselves a publishing house to take your manuscript on and print you, you know, a thousand books or a hundred books or whatever it was you needed. And you would pay a premium for that. And then you could call yourself a quote unquote published author. So there's a big difference. There's basically three types of publishing right now. Well, you could call it four. Uh, There is the traditional publishing house or trad pub as it's called in the trade. Um, This is a place where they will usually pay for things like your editing, your cover design, uh, some of the marketing costs, um, they'll invest some money in you. And in the bigger houses like Doubleday and Penguin and, you know, the big imprints, they'll actually pay an author a little bit of an advance. Now, now is this what we like people like Stephen King, James yes. Patterson? Okay. Yeah. But the thing with that is uh, guys like Stephen King and James Patterson and, you know, um, they do get advances on their work that are sizable. But for the most part, that's only in the movies these days. Uh, For you to get an advance at all is pretty rare. If you can get them to take you on and give you a a run of, you know, 10,000 copies or 50,000 copies or whatever, um, that's, you're doing good. That's really because they're taking a big risk. They're investing a lot of money in you. And that's what the brass ring has been for authors for years. What people don't understand is you still end up doing a lot of your own marketing, uh, your own publicity tours, all that kind of stuff. You still have to hustle. Gotcha. Uh, but it, you know, that's what most authors are aiming at is getting that actual traditional publishing deal. Now from there, there's, you know, a lot of smaller houses that kind of have a mixed model that kind of go along with that. They sell some services and they do some things, you know, on them. They take some risk and they kind of split the cost with the author. And I'm, I have mixed opinions about that type of thing. Then there's the self-publishing, which generally can be done for free. Okay. Although most serious writers are going to want to hire a professional editor. And unless they're really good at graphic design, they will probably hire someone to do the formatting for them and someone to do the cover art. So you can expect to pay anywhere from $1,500 to $2,000 to get a book ready to do something like Amazon publishing. So, so does that mean the editing, the design, everything else is fifteen to two hundred two thousand? Yeah. Okay. But the publishers themselves, which are companies like Lulu.com uh, and Amazon, there's a bunch of them out there. If you if you go looking for self-publishing houses, you won't have any problem finding solid, reputable places to go. Now, is there and, uh, so so these reputable self-publishing houses? Mm-hmm. Is there is there profit to be made by by someone that's doing that? But sure. not by the publisher, but by the author that's 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 going the self-publishing uh, route. They will typically give you between fifty to seventy percent of the royalties. 
Now the royalties are basically the profits over hard cost. Okay. So they're going to charge you a fee for, you know, putting it out there for you. Uh, and then depending on what market it's going into, like with Amazon, they send it so many different places and the rates that you get for that based on what country it's in and, and different things like that uh, are going to change from time to time. And so you'll get a report from them outlining exactly where your book sold and how much you got on each volume. So, but they don't charge you anything to put that into their system. They're taking all of theirs off of the back end, similar to what an agent, you know, who would run a public speaker right. or an actor would do. They only get money when you actually make a sale. Okay. So they're taking a risk and they're actually helping to promote your book. And with something like Amazon, if you can get good sales, then they will promote you and it will be a successful venture. Not too many authors, even really good ones, are making a whole lot of money off of that because there's just so much competition. Sure. And then we kind of filter down to the independent publishers and you can use something like, there's a site called payhip.com okay. that charges absolutely nothing for anything. And they take, I think, 5% of the sales. So you get to okay. keep 95%, but you're doing all of your own promotion. Uh, you're running that as if it's a business. And it just allows you to have a place for them to host the documents and basically transact the sales. And then the money right. would go straight to a PayPal account or something like that. On the back end, then you have these vanity presses and what some people, uh, there's other terms that are used for it, but mostly that's what it is. And how you will know them, Brett, is when you show up, they're gonna sell you a publishing package. Of course they that's are. almost <laughs> always what it's called. And this publishing package will claim some things like that they will help you know, design your cover. They will help uh, to do the formatting inside your book. They will help to put it onto Amazon and places like that. And they're charging you for all of these things. And they make it sound very complex and very difficult to do. But it's something that I can teach people to do in a couple of hours. Sure. And here's the problem with it is everyone assumes that because they pay these places, that these places are in the business of selling books. Well, you and I both know this. Whatever someone takes your money for, that's their business. That is their business right there. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. You, and, and, you know, we used to run scams. Well, not scam, not the publishing scam, yeah. but the, the employment scam where it was the exact same thing. You sell the employment package or the background check or whatever that it's not the job. Yeah. It's, it's the getting of that fee that's exactly that causes right. your business to be profitable. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's, it's, it's not surprising that that would be happening in the publishing field either. This kind of came back on my radar the other day. The reason I contacted you, I put you in touch with someone who had mentioned that uh, several of their clients had gotten scammed by somebody and didn't receive all the services they had paid for. Right. Uh, and so he later messaged me and asked me about my services and what I charged. And then he asked me if I'd heard about this particular company and I won't mention their name because I'm not trying to badmouth them. I don't know that they're trying to rip people off, but sure. when I looked into it for him, I was able to kind of explain what it was they were actually selling because all he saw was that they were guaranteeing a quote unquote bestseller. So there's two different definitions for this. The first being uh, what you and I grew up hearing the, the New York times bestseller list. You have to sell a hundred thousand copies of a book to even be listed there. Okay. And they only list the top 100, you know, books in certain categories and press from certain presses uh, on that list and to reach the top of the of that list or even to get onto that list was quite an honor and sure. it could make or break an author's career 
Well, since then, there's been others that have come out like USA Today and a few others that kind of do their own bestseller lists. And, and most of those, for the most part, are pretty legit. Now, there will be things like you may remember back in the day, uh, L. Ron Hubbard's group did Dianetics and they bought all the books. Right, exactly. They just bought them right off the shelf and then resold them and to make it a number one bestseller and just to attract attention for Scientology and do all that. So that's one scam that people run to get that done. Now that requires a big organization, uh, something like a cult along the lines of Scientology or a large corporation that has a lot of funds and can hire people to go and buy books for them. But another way that you can do it is that there is such a thing as a, an Amazon bestseller. Now, if you can manage to sell your book well enough to get to the very top of Amazon and be the number one book on Amazon, mm -hmm. or even in the top 10,000, you're doing really, really well. And you've sold a lot of books. And it's difficult to scam that. Okay. Because you'd have to get a ton of people out there to all buy your book at once. Right. And if you can convince them to buy it, it really doesn't matter why they did it unless you're paying for them to buy it. That's not really a scam. It may be a persuasion technique or something, but you know, you're not ripping anybody off directly. Sure. Um, but what will happen with these other groups is they only need to buy a very small amount of books in order to get a book to the top of a category in Amazon because Amazon ups those uh, rankings once an hour. So say you and I put together a book and we put it into a category on how to raise goldfish or something that had very little competition in it. Okay. I've seen a guy do this with a picture of his foot, put it into a book, put a cover on it, put it on Amazon, convince a half a dozen of his friends to go and buy this book for 99 cents. He paid them each 10 bucks to do it. And within, you know, an hour, he was the top of this category. Sure. And it, when you open the book up, even in the, you know, digital copy, all you get is a picture of his foot. That's it. There's no text. There's no nothing. But because so, it's listed as a bestseller, it trends at that point. You can claim a, it on your it profiles. Can, and yes. Else. Now, a lot of times it will not. What they'll do is they'll just take a screen capture of that one moment in time because okay. it won't stay past that hour. Some right. other book will sell a couple of copies and, and eclipse it and it'll drop down. Now, it may stay in the top 10 or something if you pick a really dead category for quite a while, but it doesn't make you a best-selling author in the way that people would normally think of that. So this company was offering that service to make you a bestseller. Another thing that they did, and I bet you can explain this one right away, uh, is they will say, as featured on ABC, NBC, CBS News, Fox, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is an interesting technique that writers have been using for a very long time. It's, it's called uh, different things, but basically what you're doing is you're trading on the confidence people have in those brands. Absolutely. You're recognizing yourself with that and you're, you're, you're speaking as if they've endorsed you. Right. But what's really happened is you had someone like me write a press release. It can be a crappy press release. It might be illegible. Doesn't matter. You pop it into a press release service. That press release service cranks all of these press releases out, just like the AP, you know, any kind of newswire. And what they're doing is they're putting stories out that these stations and newspapers and things can pick up and publish if they want to, or use as raw information to write their own stories off of. But each of these websites will have a page on which they do nothing but house all of these press releases. So you can go and find them. Anyone can find them. You know, it's interesting so, that you said that because uh, the, the two examples you gave, the, the, the bestseller, you know, I've, I've spoken to people recently, recently who, who told me, you know, I've got a 
best, it was a bestseller on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've, a few of the books that I've read have been absolutely, you know, they'll send me a free copy, but uh, a few of the books that I've read recently have been like, I'm like, okay, how on earth is this a bestseller? And that explains what you're talking about there. Yep. But I've also had companies on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, who have contacted me offering to, you know, for a fee of, and the fees have been high, you know, $15,000 will get you, we'll get you the, that where you're featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and you're explaining exactly the technique that they're using at that point. Yeah, you're and, featured. No one's ever going to see it, yeah. but you're featured there. So you can make that claim. Yeah, you can make you're, the claim. You're banking on that authority. You're linking right. yourself to their name, but you're trading on a brand that doesn't belong to you and that isn't even aware of your existence. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, it's like claiming you're a spokesmodel for Johnson & Johnson because you use their baby shampoo or something. It's really kind <laughs> of obscure. Um but so what ends up happening then is you've got this company that's selling this service and what they will do is you write your own manuscript, you bring it to them and you send it and you quote unquote submit it just using a form similar to what you would with a traditional publisher with a traditional publisher. All of those things typically come in through an agent. This is the right. reason they don't take unsolicited manuscripts because they want to know, is this you know, produced at a level that we would be, you know, at least capable of editing it into something that's useful. Is this a marketable product? And those agents understand what the market is looking for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they are basically talent scouts. So when you can just directly submit to a publisher, they are either a very small press that only prints a few books a year and they may be perfectly legitimate. And I know authors who actually earn a living with some of those presses. That's fine or they will be one of these places. And what they will do is every manuscript that they receive will then get a very exciting letter. Oh, we've decided to include you in our spring catalog. All you have to do is, you know, go here and look at which package you want. And then from there, you know, they'll give you a price on how much it's gonna cost you to actually get that done. Now, here's the problem is that several things happen after this point. Number one, they're not interested in selling your book. They never were. Because they've already got what they wanted, which was your big fat check. And it will usually cost anywhere from $1,500 up to $10,000 or $12,000. So you take some poor individual that, you know, they've got a lifelong dream of of writing books. Right. And, of course, we know, sure, the writing is the most important. Mm -hmm. The editing is extremely important as well, (laughs) which no one ever really tells them that. Right. But you know they've been sh- they've shopped it around they've they've bought the uh, the publisher's guide the writer's guide everything else they've shopped it around they've not had any luck getting an agent so yep. finally they see this television commercial internet commercial what have you of you know we can publish your book we'll get you a yep. bestseller everything else and yep. they reach out to this company and the company of course they're in, they're in the business of making money mm-hmm. so they're telling this this poor person that hey you know yeah we, it, we love the work it's outstanding we can get you published it's going to be a bestseller you're you're good to go we need $1500 or whatever yeah. that is in order for you oh, to fulfill your if, career if they're actually publishing it that's usually the down payment that's the uh, down payment yes because well, which makes sense because you get the down payment it gets them invested right. and then it's you know you've already given us this much money it's just yeah. this much more to make sure you're a success right and they'll list those things out but it's it's one of those things where you're never quite sure how much you're going to end up paying before it's over. Right. And they will try to upsell you at pretty much every phase of this bargain. So you can end up, I have a friend that ended up spending $7,500 to get her first novel, 
published by a quote unquote Christian publishing company that was here in Oklahoma. And I and don't I, know. Name them. No, but I was actually thinking of the Christian that advertisements Tate. that I had seen. Yeah. Tate uh, publishing that was here and they've started a new company since then and changed their name a couple times. So I'm, I can't keep track of where they're at, but this group had like 15,000 authors that had never even received their manuscripts that when they would send it through their quote unquote editing process, it would introduce new errors into the work and make it almost unreadable that the covers would have errors uh, in the design. And you, you know, you had these limited windows of seven or 10 days to actually file your complaint in writing. And it wasn't even enough time for the mail to carry the message back. So you violated your contract. And then of course they can just say, right. well, we don't really have any obligation to you, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and put this on our website anyway. Sure. And she ended up with uh, 1,500 copies of a book that she could not sell because there were so many typos and so many grammatical errors that had been introduced into the text, and there was not anything she could do about it. So wh while you were talking about that, um, I was just kind of, you, you said 15,000 authors. Yeah. And she paid $7,000 or yeah. 7,500. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know what they got out of all these 15,000, certainly probably not 7,000 for each one. Oh, it could have easily been that much. Okay. So if it easily is, and, and I, you probably saw me, we're on video. I, I pulled out my phone and opened up the calculator. Right. <laughs> and so 15,000 times $7,000 mm. is $105 million. Yeah. And this was just the people who complained. Just the people who complained. Right. So they also had authors like T.D. Jakes, whose name you've heard. Yes. Yes. And they were, you know, promoting his books. But so what they have is they have a celebrity package where they hire legit people to actually do a decent job and they put this stuff out there. And if you were to go through the Mardells of the world 10 years ago, a lot of books in those stores would have had the Tate Publishing logo on them. Gotcha. So they had legit customers on but top the other of ones. all of the rest of this, but the rest of them were paying to keep this whole operation running. And it's like a, it's a Ponzi scheme of sorts. Well, sure. Essentially they're spending the money as fast as they're getting it. So they have to sign you up so they can print my books. Well, of course. I mean, it may, yeah. it makes sense. I mean, you've got, yeah. of course, TJ, TD, TD Jakes is going to make money. People are right. going to buy that book. Yeah. So if, if you're a publishing house, you know, one of these fraudulent or, or, gray area, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. Publishing houses. Con, they're, they're con artists. I mean, they are. whether it's they a legal are. con artist or not, they're taking advantage. Yeah. So you get a TD uh, Jakes in there, you know, that book's going to sell, but you're getting all these hundreds and thousands of other people in and, and let's be honest, they can't write. That's exactly but, right. But why would you tell them that they, that they can't write when you can make money off of them? Well, that between you and I, I can't sleep at night when I do no. that crap. Well, I mean, I used to be able to sleep at night. I can't anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, jeez. That's, I mean, you and I have talked before, and I told you I could be a con man if I didn't have a conscience. Yeah. But I grew yeah. up with the you know, Church of Christ minister for a father, and, and right. so I had it beat into me early on. So, <laughs> Is it, um, yeah, and, you know, I, I'm looking at it again, and, and while you were talking, I was thinking, okay, I, I've seen this over and over again with these Christian book, self-publishing book advertisements. Yep. And I keep picturing this, this person who's, who's writing this Christian novel they're, they've got in their mind, they've got, this is the next left behind series, right. or they're, they're looking at the profit that was made by passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson. They're yep. looking at that and they're saying, you know, this is a wide open market. And of course the marketing firms for these publishing houses, they say the exact same thing. It's an untapped industry. It's a wide open market. Look at the profit potential of these series. Yep. And they're not being honest with them. Whereas, Right. If they went 
toward a more traditional route or a, a really good self-publishing house, that house is going to tell them, hey, you know, you really need some more work on this. Are you reading? Are you writing every day? Are you doing the hard work it takes to actually become a writer? And these other groups aren't doing that. The other thing is that most of these houses only pay five to 7% royalties. So they are keeping the lion's share of anything they do manage to sell. And when they sell you books, they are selling them to you at a premium. So they are giving you what they call their author's discount. But if you were to go and look at a binder who actually prints books for authors, right. uh, because a lot of authors do market their own stuff. I know guys that that's how they earn their living. Sure. They sell their books out the trunk of their car and they'll sell you know 15,000 copies a year and they make good money. They travel to sh trade shows and sci-fi conventions and all that fun stuff. And, but so what ends up happening is uh, they don't generally recoup those at all. They'll, they'll claim other costs. They'll claim, you know, different things. They'll say, oh, the check's in the mail kind of thing, or maybe the seller never paid them, so we can't pay you. So you're looking at a dashboard that tells you that you sold 500 books, but you don't have a royalty check to show for it. Right. So unless you've got a large audience and you're selling it on your own, where you're actually buying through someone like Tate, uh, and then, you know, you're getting a trunk full of books and taking it, you're speaking at a convention and doing back of room sales, which I've got authors who make $30,000 a year just off their books, doing back of room stuff, you know, at youth rallies. Um, so it is possible to make money that way. But the thing is that most of the time, the work is so damaged by the poor quality of the press that the books just really aren't that saleable. They won't go much past a certain point because even if someone likes you and enjoyed your work, they're not going to recommend it because they look at it and see that it's shoddy. And if they tell other readers about it, other readers are going to come back to them and say, well, why did you tell me to read this thing? I, you know, there's so many run on sentences and their grammar is horrible and I could barely understand what they were saying. Right. Well, it so, sounds like it, you know, I, I do mostly speaking. I'm, I'm moving, move, excuse me, I'm moving over into consulting, things like that as well. But I, I know that from a speaking point of view, from that type of profession, that you are your product. Yep. At the same time, you need to make sure you have videos and content out there. And if you have bad videos, if you have bad content, it can actually do more damage than good. And it sounds like that's what's going on with a lot of these, you know, hope for or aspiring authors, yeah. you know, they go with a publishing house like this. The publishing house does not care about the product. They That's care about the money that the person's paying. So they release a product all of a sudden that is horrible. And this person's wow. out there, their brand depends on the product as well. So it seems like it's doing a lot more damage than, than any hopeful good the person could ever encounter. Absolutely. But it gets worse because not only do these houses take your money, they take your work. So you sign a publishing contract with them and a traditional publishing house, what they will do is they will buy your rights from you right. uh, for, you know, a, a certain amount of money. And so you get a larger portion of the royalties up until that's paid for. And then you get, you know, 15 or 20%, whatever they've got set up on their schedule. Uh, but with these vanity presses, a lot of times what they will do is get you to pay them to take your copyright. And they will hold it, not for a certain amount of time, which is typical with book contracts, until a certain number of copies are sold. Oh, geez. So they are demotivated to even attempt to sell 
the copies because yeah. if they do that, then they have to release your copyright back to you. And why would they? They have no reason to because right. they can just keep printing that book and selling it and keeping it in their catalog and making themselves look like they have 50,000 authors all doing all this great work. So your work becomes part of their marketing campaign to bring in the next sucker. Let me ask you this, and this is something that's occurring to me as you're talking. We all start out, we're not, we're not born authors. You know, we're not Joseph Conrad. We're not Nabokov or anything like that. I, those guys may have been born authors. I don't know. They didn't begin writing until they're in their 40s. Right. But we're, we're, you, you learn writing through reading, through experience, through writing. So someone who, who obviously is probably not very good at writing, they, they go the route of signing on to one of these vanity presses. They give their copyright up. They pay their money, everything else. But as they get, as they continue this, this journey of wanting to be an author, they're going to get better if they do the right sure. things. Absolutely. My question is, is if they get to the point where they're, where they're good, where they're actually coming up with a product that engages the reader, that, that someone wants to purchase, that an agent wants to sign on to, or a more reputable or a reputable self-publishing firm wants to have. Mm -hmm. Does them going the route of the vanity press actually hurt that? It can. That's what I was thinking. It can, particularly because what will usually happen is this will be the first book that they've written. And if they're writing in fiction in specifically, they're probably going to try and write in a series. If they've right. done any research at all, they know that that's how most authors who make money off of fiction make money off of fiction. They basically give away the first book to lead into the second book. And then by the time they get to their third or fourth book, if they've built an audience, then they can start actually charging for the first book. <laughs> and that's kind of how it works. And then over time, you sell, you know, a thousand copies of each of those over time. Once you get up to 15 or 20, you're doing pretty good. You've got, you've got pretty decent money coming from it. But what will end up happening instead is not only will, you know, someone like a Tate company own that first copyright, they will also own the universe you built it in and the characters that you develop for it and the rest of your ideas that go with it. And if you're not careful, they can even own your imprint. You can end up like, uh, I don't even remember his name, the guy who had Howdy Doody yes. and ended up losing his entire fortune because of copyright through one of the TV networks back in the day. So it can be similar to that. It can be similar to um, an artist who sells their catalog to someone because they're starving. They end up with a drug problem. Their music goes out of style, whatever happens, you know, and then they can no longer access the copyright to all of their music. So they can't even play it in public. Right. It's a similar thing. You know, it's, um, I'm, I'm about to move over into asking you what needs to be done. Sure. But it, it's, uh, it seems to me, you know, we've got that phrase caveat emptor, mm -hmm. buyer beware. That's absolutely right. But it also seems that, um, it, it, it goes back to me, you know, running scams when I used to be a criminal and everything else, it was, uh, criminals prey uh, and certainly these these people are not on the paper criminals they're con artists they profit but they're still profiting by There's, desperation i mean tate got shut down because they did commit actual crimes in the Good. process of doing all that but then they they opened up just again under another name something right. like that yeah. they incorporated a new one put a of different course. person in charge you know but it, you know it seems that um it seems that we're still that they, these groups much like you know the criminal that i used to be are preying on desperation, are, are preying on fears, hopes, dreams, mm -hmm. and profiting by that. What does, what does an aspiring author, 
let's let's discuss first. Let's get to the let, what does someone need to do to to learn how to write? Let's talk about that first. Then we'll go into how to how to go about doing this proper. The same thing they've always needed to do: buy a pencil and a notebook, buy a typewriter, <laughs> buy a keyboard, you know, and write something. And then you need to put it out where people can see it and get some feedback. I agree. And then apply that feedback. And if you either have a friend that will help you that is, you know, of professional caliber, or you have like an old English teacher that would be willing to look over your work or whatever, get some good advice and just keep working. Keep telling stories, keep writing, because that's the only way you're going to grow as a writer. Well, you know, Stephen King says that in on writing as well. If you want to be a writer, you yeah, got to write. write. <laughs> it's, it's also the, the cure thing. for writer's block. It's the cure for everything that people talk about, you know, with writers. Absolutely. Like sitting down and actually putting something on paper. Yeah, you have to do it. You can't just sit there and, and, and say that, you know, I'm a writer and you're not putting out any content or I'm writing novels and you've never read a novel or anything right. else like that. You have to write, you have to read. Yeah. Um, and it's a long, and I want people to realize that too, because I, I know that, you know, I work on, I'm working on a novel, a memoir about, uh, the, the shadow crew story, that life of crime that I had. So I've got these two projects, but people need to realize that, that, that this is a full-time job, that this is something that you have to do every single day. You don't just pick, you know, a, a certain, I'm going to write two days out of the month. No, you're not. You're going to write every day or you're not going to write at all. Yeah. So, especially when you start, especially, especially when, you start. when you start, now, I can take months off and then come back to it if I want to, but I've you are a better man than I am. I swear so you. <laughs> On my own work, it is more difficult. Usually right. I like to start on a project and see it through. Uh, exactly. If I want to see it finished, it's going to have to be finished. So, so let's say that someone is, you know, they're, they're doing everything they need to do to, to be that writer. What type of path do they need to take the proper path to see their, their work published? And, you know, I assume it's a lot like acting. Most actors never make any money. I, I don't think most writers will ever make any money either, but it's, sure. you know, you do it because you love it. Right. So what do they need to do in order to do things properly? Well, uh, make a partnership with an editor first. Um, and what job, might, let's clear actually, that. What job does an editor do? Typically, well, there's two basic types of editing. There's copy editing, which is going through and making sure all your commas are in the right place, that you use the right tense and all of your verbs. And, you know, you've used the right form of the word everywhere. Okay. Your grammar is more or less acceptable. Sure. Um, and then there's also developmental editors who can help you if it's a nonfiction book to make sure your concepts are coming across clearly, or if it's a story to help you make sure your characters are developed and your plot is moving in the right direction. There's not huge holes in it. You didn't go back and repeat yourself. Uh, there's something called continuity, especially in fiction, where if a person has inherited a certain trait or has an item, you know, it's like when you watch a movie and they have the gun in one scene and then in the same scene, they cut to another shot where it's not in his hand and they cut back and he has it in his hand. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. A good editor will help you with all of those sorts of things. Okay. Now you can start by shortcutting that and you can usually find people who will do this for free. Uh, in a sense that they are beta readers. So they're not necessarily going to sell themselves to you as an editor, but they are people who love literature. Maybe they're writers themselves and they will be willing to sit down and read your work and give you feedback. That's outstanding. That's called, that's called a high level pass. Okay. Uh, so, and that's as good as the beta reader, you sure. know, if they're good at what they do, you can get as much out of that as you can from a full developmental edit. Now, where would you find these people? Uh, there are lots of writers groups on Facebook and other social media sources. You want to be very careful. Um, if you're going to choose beta readers, 
uh, vet them a little bit. Go look at their profiles, see if you see anything scammy. Okay. If anybody else in that writer's group knows them, ask for recommendations, that type of thing. Okay, because there are people who will just take your manuscript and run with it. And of course, here's Why the way that copyright works. Okay, so you do not need to register a copyright to, for it to be legally protected. Anything okay. that you write is considered produced, it's considered published, quote unquote, even if you put it on a cocktail napkin. And if you can prove when you did it, then you have rights based on you know the timeline and all that. But with Amazon, what will generally happen if two people publish the same manuscript and they catch on to it, then they will take down the one that was published after and leave the first one up. Okay. And whether that person has legal copyright or not. And the thing is you can contest it you can even take it to court and you can win. But most people who are trying to write for a living don't have money to hire no. a copyright. No, no, no. So that's, that's a big trick. Um, so you want to be careful with choosing beta readers. Choose people that you either know or that know someone you know, uh, even if that's online. If it's people that you trust, you know, use your gut. Most of the time, people don't give themselves enough credit. And I think you probably think this is true too. People get conned most of the time because they go against their better judgment. Absolutely. They go against their conscience. They go against the things that they've heard and learned. And they take a step because either they're desperate or it feels like a good deal. Or it's always that. A great smile. Um, but they've been convinced into it. And initially, most of the time when you talk to people who get ripped off, they had a feeling. You know, There was something that was an inkling. And that's not always true. There are people who are just that naive, just that kind and loving and think everyone else is too. But for the most part, if you start to feel that way, just take a step back. Don't get impatient. Just take a step back. But when you hire an editor, you want to look for someone who's been used by other writers that you know. And they will generally, you know, charge you an upfront fee. Um, that's perfectly okay. A lot of them will take part of it upfront and the rest when they're complete. Uh, it so what, what's on how much the, editing they're doing. What's the price difference between the copy editor and the developmental editor? It really depends on the editor. Okay. Uh, you can get good editors for as low as a penny a word. So for, you know, a 50,000 word manuscript of a hundred thousand is considered to be a typical novel. Okay. So that's about a, a thousand bucks, um, you know, to have that edited. Uh, but it can cost you as much as three or 4,000 if you really want somebody to dig in and they're really good at what they do. Okay. Um, at that point, you would want someone who had worked with successful authors before, or at least had, you know, maybe an MFA in creative writing or, you know, a, a PhD in English literature or something along those lines. So that you've got, you know, that you've got a, a tool set there that's not typical right. uh, for just the run of the mill editor. But usually, you know, for a thousand dollars or less, you can get a book edited. So that's, that's a pretty typical fee. It's not bad. It's not no, bad it's at not. all. <laughs> all right, so, so they so continuing the, this path i'm sorry i interrupted but i was really you're interested no, in that editing question you're absolutely fine um so, so again back back to the path of what that aspiring author needs to do to do things right. properly so then they've got a choice to make and really there are only two choices you can self-publish whether that's independent or through a service like amazon or you can seek a traditional publisher if you decide to seek a traditional publisher, you have two options. You can look for small houses, which can be notoriously hard to find, don't take very many authors, uh, don't typically provide as much sales unless you're in a very narrow niche and they happen to be one of the leaders in that niche and that's sure. fine. Uh, or you can move towards the larger traditional publishing houses in which case you need to find an agent. So that would be that path. 
and you just need to make those choices and then stick with that until you kind of feel like you've hit a dead end and you can always change horses midstream. Which the dead end comes pretty often. <laughs> it, it does. Although if you read the stories of famous authors, you will know that most of the books that we think of as being classics were rejected by multiple authors before or yes. multiple presses before they actually got published. So that happens a lot. Yeah. Patterson, um, um, JK Rowling, right. all these people were rejected numerous times. Yeah. If you decide to go self-publish or indie, then there's several options available to you. You can use something like an Amazon, which kind of has some package services that are set up. It won't cost you anything uh, past the point of actually getting your manuscript ready. So you won't, if you want to pay somebody for formatting and editing and you know, cover design, and you can also pay consultants that help you write titles, uh, figure out what your book needs to look and feel like. If it's a genre, you want to make sure you know what all of the little cues that those readers are looking for and you put them in it. Um, and so there's a lot of formulas that you can learn. But when you go to self-publish, you can go to something like an Amazon or a Lulu.com, or you can choose something like Wattpad or you can go to a place like Patreon, if you're familiar with that, yes. uh, where you can actually get crowdfunded. So people will actually pay to read a chapter at a time of your book. Um, and there are things like that where you can put it out. And there are some stories, there's an author named Huey Long who wrote a, a sci-fi novel, which I cannot remember the name of right this minute, but he wrote it as three novellas. And then when a trad pub house picked it up after he had already sold a bunch and built an audience for himself, they compiled it all into one big fat novel and it has sold, you know, millions and millions of copies nice. and I think it's being made into a movie at some point. So that's one way that you can go. The other route is you can put it into book form and you can begin to try to sell it. So at that point, you've got, you know, all of the book review sites that you need to get to and make sure it's listed in as many different places as possible. And I mean, you understand what internet marketing is like. There's just a ton, a ton of nuts and bolts and pieces and everybody that you ask will have a different list of things you should do. So, and there are services that you can hire to actually produce results for you. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. And more or less, that's where the caveat Antor comes in there too. You, you pays your money, you takes your chances and it either works or it doesn't. Well, it sounds like it's like most anything that is worth doing requires a lot of work and a lot of perseverance and Absolutely. just keep on trucking along and there's no easy path yeah. to getting this done. That's right. And it comes back to the caveat I'm emptor. I mean, it's, it's, you really have to be able and be willing to put the work in that's needed, be vigilant, not fall for uh, these fly by night and try. It's not even a fly by night. It's, it's not, yeah. not fall for these people who are one of these, upfront fees and pay, pay, pay yep. to play. That's, yep. that's, that's the important thing. So let me ask you, we have mentioned on the copyright. So a, a good self-publishing firm, will they let that author keep the copyright or they, yes. they, do they want? Okay. So that's yep. one of the things. To like if you get. go through Amazon, you're not going to end up giving any of your copyright away. The only thing that you would be restricted to is if you went into what they, uh, I don't even know what they're calling it now. It used to be called Kindle Select. Um, but it's a 90 day commitment to only sell through that one platform gotcha. and you're not supposed to put it anywhere else. They pay a little bit higher royalties during that time. Uh, supposedly they do more to promote your work. I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. Um, but it's basically a 90 day thing. It doesn't cost you anything to do it. Uh, and it, you know, it, 
it's a good way to start for a lot of authors because it does give you just a little bit more exposure. Sure. Um, and that's basically the only time that you should ever really give up uh, your copyright ever is for a limited amount of time. Um, a traditional publishing house will usually ask for five years or 10 years. Um, they may ask for a run of a certain number of books and either they can sell all of them or they can buy you out at the end of that right. um, kind of a deal. If they want to keep going, then usually it's extended and you get another contract. So, but at some point, if your contract does not say that the rights revert back to you, that's a real problem because you no longer own your story. So, yeah. And, and that's, you know, you mentioned this and uh, I'm partnered with the memoir. I'm partnered with a couple of pretty large groups and one of these, one of these initial groups, and I, I guess they just thought they would, they would see if they could get it. <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, we want the copyright to the book too. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, my initial thing was come hell or high water. You'll never get that. Right. <laughs> and it lasted until, um, my, my agent reached out to CAA. CAA is now a, a, an agent with me as well on that. And CAA contacted the group. And he was like, well, right out of the gate, you're not getting the copyright, period. And they immediately dropped. They're like, oh, yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you, Mark, how much I really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking to me about this sure. because you've answered a lot of questions for me. And I know, I, I know for a fact I've got listeners out there that a lot of us are aspiring authors. A lot of us yep. just love to write and tell stories and everything else. And the amount of information that you've given today is, I mean, it's, it's, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. I feel it. like there's one more thing we really should say, and that's yes, how you spot the trouble. Yes, please. So with this marketing company that the guy was asking me about, they were offering an $1,800 nine week bestseller course where they essentially do nothing but tell you how to do it. And so they were touting some of their authors in there that had supposedly become bestsellers on Amazon. So I went and I looked up the titles and I looked up the authors on Amazon. They will not tell you, uh, they will tell you where books rank in a category. They will not tell you how many copies it has sold. Okay. But what they will do is they will give you what's called the Amazon seller rank. Okay. okay. And you can go down and you can find that if you look through the page, uh, it's down next to the reviews and stuff where there's a lot of, uh, stuff like SKU numbers and all that kind of detailed information. And it'll give you the Amazon seller rank based on the categories and then the overall paid sales on Amazon. Okay. Now what you're looking for is a book that has a number that is less than 1 million. Okay. Generally they say if like the groups that try to teach you how to find best selling niches that will actually make you money, mm -hmm. they say under 300,000. Okay. So if it's in the top, 1 million books on Amazon at that given time, then they've actually sold quite a few books. Uh, that's an indication that they've made some money off of it. Okay. Most of the time. In fact, I don't think I've ever found one that wasn't, uh, there's not going to be from these, uh, little presses like that, that are pay to play their Amazon sales rankings are going to be 2.7 million, 3 million, 4 million. You know, they're going to be way, way down in the bottom of the sure. barrel. Sure. Okay. Um, and they may still rank, uh, you know, at three or 400 in a given category, which sounds okay. But when you find out there's only 302 books in there and this is number 300, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, it, it explains itself. Right. Right. So those are the kinds of things you're looking for. Then you also just want to click in. If you get a chance to read a sample of that book and see what the formatting is like, 
Is it written in complete sentences? Is it capitalized correctly? When you scan that page, do the typos just pop out at you? Because if they do, they didn't ever have a professional editor of any right. sort that was worth anything. Look at that manuscript. Um, in fact, they could have done better had they just gotten the free version of Grammarly and run their stuff through it before they put it up on Amazon. I use Grammarly. <laughs> yeah. It's not a bad tool. It's a good it's place not. to start. And most authors will run their you know copy through something like that before they send it off to their editor just to save their editor time right and to give them a chance to avoid embarrassment for all the stupid typos that are generally in a hundred thousand a hundred thousand word document you know um so that's what they need to be looking for okay and it's not that everyone who charges you up front is is scamming you or ripping you off um, there are some places that have this business model that genuinely work hard to sell books for their authors uh, but they will typically have other authors that they take on that they don't charge. So if they really like your work, they're going to explain that. And they're going to say to you, look, we can't take you onto this side of our business, but we do have this other side and we think we could help you with this. Sure. If you're not getting that kind of information, you shouldn't be spending money directly with a publishing house. Now, yeah, if you're good enough, you shouldn't have to be right. paying somebody. To do now, it. some legit publishers will take on people like myself. I don't think I'm listed on any of them right now as ghostwriters or as editors and offer those services privately. So you contact me. I'm just on their site and maybe I kick them back 5% of what I make off of their customers. Right. And that's a different deal because you're contracting separately with those individuals and you can do your due diligence on whether or not they're you know, actually worth going after. You used to be able to look at a company name and just type in scam plus whatever, but they've gotten so smart that they will write articles with that title and plaster it all over so that you'd have to go through the first 20 pages of Google to even find an actual real review. Of course. Um, and they'll weed out all their Yelp stuff. They'll change their publisher's name just to get away from the bad reviews, whatever they have to do. So sometimes it's very difficult. No, and I, I've seen that, um, you know, the fake reviews and the uh, yeah. the SEO manipulation, the the content manipulation to get it off the first five, six pages as well. And uh, it's very common, very common. And the more skilled the these fly-by-night companies are, the better they are at doing that. I mean, it's just, uh, just one of those things. And again, I, I I can't tell you how much I, I, I really, I truly do. I appreciate you coming on and talking just to me about that. So I know that, that my listeners are going to enjoy it just as much. If someone wants... Here's, here's the thing. If someone wants to reach out to you, sure. How, what would you advise? How do they reach you? Who needs to reach out to you? And we'll go from there. Most people that I work with are going to be, uh, already have some type of an audience. The reason being, I never, ever, ever recommend that anybody start out to write a book to make a living off of. If that is your plan, it's a dumb plan. Okay? <laughs> You're going to work. Real, it's just like being in theater. You're going to starve. Go ahead and do it for fun. But yeah. Because most of the time, what you don't know is the JK Rowling's of the world are famous because there's one of her, you know, right. Uh, James Patterson has sold a billion books. There's one of him. He's the only guy who's ever done it in the history of the world. Yeah. So that's, should tell you something. It's not a viable option. It's like thinking you're going to not only get into the NFL, but you're going to become MVP in your first season and you're going to have a 20 year career and be in the hall of fame. I mean, if that's your plan and you won't accept anything less or, or take any deviations from it, most football coaches <laughs> will tell you, look, kid, you know, play hard, but it's probably not going to happen. 
So there's nothing wrong with writing a book and hoping that you make some money off of it. But it's more likely to be a good tool for you to open doors, do like back of room sales if you already have an audience, if you have a good blog following, something like that where you can make extra money and then you can leverage that into a publishing career where you can sell enough books to actually make your living off of it. It's tough. It's really tough. In fact, I've never been able to do it. That's why I am a writer for hire. I make money off of my books, but not enough to feed my family. So, and I don't try to claim that either. Um, So that's what I would say is they need to be successful enough to be able to spend the money to get it done without it putting them in the poorhouse. That's probably the first and most important thing. I'm not looking to take advantage of anybody. Uh, Then secondly, they need to have a pretty clear idea of what they want to say. Um, sometimes I will get with a client and they will say, well, here's what we're doing. And we'll start into a book. I did this this year, actually, we got a couple months in and his wife who was working on the project with us just kind of said, no, she just had this check in her gut about doing that project and said, I don't think we should be doing this. So then he said, well, I don't want to cancel this contract with you. I was like, oh, good. I don't want to cancel the contract, (laughs) but I've got this other idea. Let me pitch it to you and see what you think. And, you know, he pitched it to me. I was like, I think that's really good and actually feeds directly into what you're already doing and would be more of a benefit to you than this other thing, which would be an uphill push, you know, to get it out and get it actually read. So um, it's really more about whether it works with what you're doing and what you want to do with that book. Um, so you can make your money back. You can even double, triple, quadruple, make 10 times off of a book what I would charge you to write it. Sure. Um, but you need to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan for building an audience, then I would suggest you invest your money, probably not in the stock market right this minute. Not right this minute. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> find some place to put it into something that's definitely going to appreciate until you can come up with a plan. I got to say, that's an honest answer. And I I appreciate that honesty. I really, really do. So that being said, how do they contact you if they they do have all these ducks in a row? They can email me at markrmorris2 at gmail.com or they can find me uh, as Mark R. Morris Jr. on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to get to me. Uh, They can find me interacting there. They can check out all of my resume and my portfolio and see what all my connections are saying about me. So that's a great way to do due diligence and don't hire anybody that you can't find out about. That would be the biggest thing I'd say. If there's zero transparency on a, on a person, even as a ghostwriter, because I'll never tell you who the names of the people I write for, but at sure. the same time, if you don't know who I am, if you can't find out who I am, then that's a real problem. Mark, again, I cannot thank you enough. You, my friend, are amazing and outstanding. So thank you you so much for coming on the online broadcast. That's it for today's episode of the online broadcast. Thank you for joining me. I hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got so many of these topics to cover to help protect you and your company from fraud. So please subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Please tell your friends and family, Rate and review us wherever you can to help others find out about us so we can increase awareness and protect everyone that we possibly can. Also, we want to hear about what you love and what you don't love about the online broadcast. We need to know how to improve our show and we need to know what topics you would like us to talk about. You can find us online at www.onlinefraudcast.com, on Facebook at the Online Fraudcast, or individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed. Stay vigilant and stay secure.